Nikki Gumbel does a uh, year through the Bible reading plan. I don't know if you've seen it on Version. It also now has its own app. Highly recommend it if you're looking for a way to read through the Bible in a year. Um, and in his plan, he has a little intro, usually a story or some commentary that he leads before you get into the scripture. And he tells a story a few years ago about a 21-year-old woman who was a music major in college, and God put it on her heart to do something radically different than music. He put it on her heart to get on a ship and sail around the world until she came to the city. He said, get off here and go tell them about me. Now, that was 1966, okay? That's, that's out there, right? I don't know where she was coming from. I think it was somewhere in Europe. might have been England. She gets off the boat in Hong Kong, and she goes to a city within the city called the Walled City. Now, the Walled City is a place where there's the, the Chinese don't have control, the Hong Kong government doesn't have control, because it's so bad, nobody wants to just, they just want to stay out of there. This is, I'm getting this from Nikki. And he says, there was um, gangs and drug runners and prostitution and all the rest. And it's a lot of these high-rise flats. So it's really dense housing. It's just a horrible place. And she goes there. I wanted to read to you what she said um, about that city. She wrote this, and she must have shared this when he was listening to her. She later came and spoke, and he got to hear some of this. But this is what she said. She wrote, I loved this dark place. I hated what was happening in it, but I wanted to be nowhere else. It was almost as if I could already see another city in its place, and that city was ablaze with light. It was my dream. There, were, there was no more crying, no more death or pain. The sick were healed. Addicts were set free, the hungry filled. There were families for orphans, homes for the homeless, and new dignity for those who had lived in shame. I had no idea of how to bring this about, but with visionary zeal, imagined introducing the walled city people to the one who could change it all. Her name is Jackie Pollinger. She spent 50, over 50 years there doing that. When she began the talk at the church, uh, where Nikki Gumbel, I guess, pastored, and she came and spoke. When she began the talk, she said, um, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet, but I fear that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your, this is your way. Tender hearts. Tender hearts towards the things of God, towards the kingdom. And yet, probably most of us can relate to the temptation, the subtle temptation, to harden our hearts towards you. My prayer today is that we will sort that out in our heads. That we'll get our, our hearts right, if that's needed. And that you would just pour out your mercy, because we need it, to hear what you have to say, and to understand it, to believe it, and to, oh, in Christ's name we pray. We're in Matthew 13, and we're continuing through. We're going to spend two weeks on Matthew 13, okay? First 23 verses today, and then we'll finish it, hopefully, next time. Jesus is going to begin to answer the question, this is the title of the sermon, why did Jesus teach in parables? 
and we're going to look at the first parable today and the other seven next time. And you're like, seven parables, but they're really, really short, the others. But the one we're going to tackle today is longer, not long, but longer, and it's foundational. If you go to the book of Mark, and I think it's in chapter 4, Jesus says there that when the disciples say, we don't understand, explain it to us. And he says, if you can't get this parable, then you won't understand any of them. So it tells me it's pretty important. So we're going to focus on it a little bit today. In the midst of that, we'll talk about what is a parable and how do we listen to a parable and that kind of thing. So um, let's jump in, and we'll do it in the order in which Matthew gets, gives it to us. And he starts off by saying that same day. Okay, so what same day? If you were here last week, it's where we left off. If you weren't, let me, give you, let me catch you up. Jesus has been being confronted by the religious leaders over and over and over. They're trying to undermine him and to, and to trip him up and to discredit him. And he keeps doing his miracles. He keeps healing, throwing out demons. And the result is, you know, people are amazed. A lot of people are amazed. He's drawing a crowd. People are everywhere. A few lives are being changed. And his family shows up at one of these and... There's so many people in the house that they can't get to him, but they're concerned about Jesus because they see what's happening. They see that the the religious leaders are really upset with Jesus and what he's saying, and they're calling him a blasphemer. They're saying he's he's casting out demons in the name of Satan instead of in the name of God, and all kinds of things like that. And so they're concerned his life is in jeopardy because they're right. So they show up. They're on the back of the crowd, and the crowd goes, Hey, your, your mom and your family are here to see you. And he goes, Who are my family? Those who do the will of God are my family. And that's how he ends chapter 12. That's where he is in the house. It's interesting there that we see that the family hasn't caught up with Jesus yet. Now, we're not sure. We don't know a lot. But the appearance is they're looking at everything through the eyes of an Israelite, which is what they are, first century Jews. Even Mary, who knows something special about her son, but hasn't figured out what that is yet, and what does that look like? And so here we see the home isn't with him, and at the end of the chapter, if we just skip ahead just for a second, we see the house isn't with him. This is verse 57. But Jesus said, a prophet is is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own home. And, they did not, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So I just point that out to give you some more context. When Matthew writes and assembles the book of Matthew, he thinks through how to order what he's putting. Luke is more chronological. Matthew's more thematic. And so we have this bracket, if you will, to kind of say, there are people with hard hearts that are in our homes, in our hometowns, in our very houses, as we talk about the heart. Okay. And there's a good chance that you and I know people with hard hearts that fit this category. Now, it's not just about hard hearts, but it is very much about that in this first parable. And so I just kind of want to give you that, as he says, that same day, coming out of that situation where he just said that in that house, it says, Jesus went out, I'm back to verse 1, he went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. So, he, he leaves the house. I don't know if he's hoping the crowd will disperse, but they don't. They follow him to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He turns around. They're just kind of standing there going, you know, do something. <laughs> I don't know what they're looking for. More miracles, a buffet. I don't know what they're looking for. But Jesus is like, well, they're going to get more word. So he 
I don't know if he gets in the boat, I don't know if he asks, he just gets in the boat and he shoves out because it gets him from, you know, it's hard, if you all were standing right here and I was down on the floor with you, it'd be really hard to preach or teach, I would think. So he pushes out and he gets the natural amplification off the water. We don't have sound systems. Boy, those were good days. And he starts to teach. It says he sat in the boat while all the people stood on the shore. No, I'm not going to make you stand for the rest of the message. Um, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, and now he begins. Now, I want you to hear this. I know Mike just read it for us. I want to hear it again. And I know you can't hear it again for the first time, but I do want you to hear it without thinking about the spiritual imagery that is here. I want you just to hear the story. Just at face value, imagine you are hearing it for the first time. But here's the other thing I want you to do, and this is very important for, for parable understanding. You kind of have to put yourselves in the shoes of a first century Jew. And I know that's hard, okay? You can be a first century Jewish man if you're a man. You can be a first century Jewish woman if you're a woman or a child or whatever. But you live in Israel 2,000 years ago. Technology wasn't quite what it is today, right? Um, And you were living under Roman occupation, which meant that Israel wasn't a free nation, okay? There was some freedom under that, but you're still wishing for the Messiah to come back so that he can set things right and Israel can be an independent nation again. And so when you hear any parable, that's really important that you hear from that standpoint. The other thing is, well, I'll get into that when I get to it, when Jesus gets to it. How about that? Okay, so a farmer, here's the story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Sow means plant. Okay, we're not talking thread and needle, all right? He's planting seeds in the ground. As he was scattering the seed, so this is where we get our word broadcast. You know, we talk about broadcast like the American Broadcasting Company, ABC, right? You broadcast seed, you stick your hand in the bag, and you scatter the seed. So you broadcast, right? You hear, see the imagery here? I mean, not the imagery, but just the how modern interpretation, right? We're broadcasting information, whether it's through TV or radio or Internet, right? It's broadcasting seed. It's interesting to me that even, the, even in our culture today, that that word image is here. But anyway, I digress. Verse 5. Sorry, verse 4. Yeah, as he was scattering seed, verse 4, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. The path is the part, um, you have a field, you have rows that you've plowed with your ox, your John Deere ox, and a um, little hand plow, and you've plowed the field, and and traveling between fields when they're planted is you would not want to walk over the plants. So there's pathways that go around the fields, maybe even through occasionally. Those are packed down because people have treaded them over and over and over. Some of the seed falls on the path. Okay? The seed and the birds came and ate it. So you you broadcast seed. Some of it lands on the path. The birds eat it up because it doesn't go into the dirt. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Now, I don't think it's super clear here, so I'm going to explain this too. It's not just soil with rocks in it because he talks about it being shallow. This is what's important here is that the soil is shallow, and the reason that matters is because if you plant a plant in shallow soil out in the sun that's going to be in the Middle Eastern sun all day, you get this little seedling that sprouts. If there's not room for the roots to go deep towards the water table, you know there's water underground, then when the sun gets hot and cooks that little plant, it doesn't have the ability to, sus- to, be, to sustain itself through the heat, and so it withers. And if it's really, really hot, it withers and 
to a crisp and it dies, okay? So plants, their roots go down until they hit the water and get the water whenever they need it, okay? That's water table. That's It's under your house. It's under your yard. I know it's kind of freaky that there's water down there, but there is. But when it doesn't rain a long time, for a long time, that water table is lower than when it has rained recently. In arid places like this, that's a big deal. And so some of the seed is on the path. Birds eat it. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground, and it says uh, it sprang up quickly because the soil is fine on top. Because the soil was shallow, though, it says, verse 6, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Okay, so that's the soil's fine, except that there's these brambles, briars growing up around it, and they are dominating the little thing, the little plant sprout, and chokes, and they eventually choke it out. And then there's the fourth soil type, soil type here, verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, which was the goal, the point of planting seed for vegetables or fruit is to get a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown, whoever has ears, let them hear. All right, and let me give you one more bit of agricultural information, and I will have exhausted my entire knowledge. Okay, um, a typical harvest in that day would have been six or seven times. That would have been considered, yeah, that's good. And what does that mean? It means if you plant, uh, if you take an ear of corn and you plant all the seed, all the kernels as seed, you'll get six or seven times that much back. Okay, so one seed gives you six or seven seeds, one ear of corn, six or seven ears of corn. You can see how if you, the more you have, the more you're going to get, but it's still that ratio. So to say that you're going to get 160 or 30 times, 30-fold return is impressive, if not miraculous, okay? Now, that's the agricultural picture. They would have understood that better than most of us because they lived it, okay? And the reason you want a greater um, return than you put in is because, one, you're going to feed your family. Two, you need seed for the next year. And three, you need to sell some so you can buy some other things to do other things that you need to do. All right, verse 10. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? This is the title of our message, so here you go. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, disciples, but not to them, the crowd. And specifically, the people in the crowds will find out later whose hearts are hard towards God. Because in the crowd, you've got some people whose hearts are not hard. We can look at the Pharisees, and we can pretty much quickly see most of them did have a hard heart. That's why they were coming so hard after Jesus, no pun intended. Now, it continues when he says, so, oh, and because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God. And that's the realm of the redemptive work of King Jesus. Okay? The secret knowledge or the secrets, or some, some translations say mysteries. This is what is mysterious in the Old Testament is being revealed in the New Testament. Okay? And Jesus is living in New Testament times, and he is revealing this information. And Paul will continue to do that when he talks about how no, we're talking about a faith where Jews and Gentiles can be unified, men and women, old and young, slaves and free, 
on and on, can be unified, unified in a, in a faith that's not ethic, ethnic, unless you want to say the human race. And then, yes, all are welcome. And Jesus is revealing that. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament. Verse 12, whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he gets ready to answer that question again. Okay, a couple of things. A parable is basically this. A parable is a simple story. It's told kind of as a metaphor or a simile with a spiritual point. Sometimes it has more than one point, but usually just one. And, and it's real important that you remember that and not get caught up in all the other details because a lot of times those details actually are not really, we, we try to read into them things that aren't really intended to be read into. It's a simple story that's given as a metaphor to teach a, a spiritual truth that should lead us to change. Okay? And we should listen to those parables as we were in the shoes of the person Jesus was speaking to. Okay? So 21st century Americans have to pretend to be 1st century Jews. I realize that that is a stretch and a challenge for all of us. Okay? But I do think that helps us see some things and think about some things in some ways we might not otherwise. So that's important to do. All right, so then he starts quoting some Old Testament. And this sounds a little disturbing. This is why, I'm verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they will not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah lived 700-ish years before Jesus. So 2,700 years ago, Isaiah was preaching and teaching, and he would, he, he would speak and then it got written down as the book of Isaiah. And he said something very similar. The other verse was, I think, out of Deuteronomy. The prophet Isaiah wrote, You will never, I'm sorry, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. Callous. What does callous mean? All right, if you, if you work a, a, a job where you use your hands a lot, let's say you're a carpenter, a bricklayer, uh, maybe you do tile, and you're handling things that are heavy or rough, you're going to develop calluses on your hand, okay? And that's good because it means your hand's not as sensitive to the things that happen to our hands sometimes when we miss with the hammer or we drop something heavy on our hand or we just scratch, 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 and so you get that, that's good. If you play a, a stringed instrument like a guitar, if you try to just pick it up and start playing it, for, and you've never played before, and you're starting to learn the chords, the fingertips become really painful really quickly. But over time, you develop calluses on those fingertips, and they become less sensitive, and you don't even feel the strings after a while, okay? Okay, so there's some positive reasons to have calluses, and there's some negative reasons. And when it comes to the human heart, and I'm talking about not the physical, but obviously the heart that Scripture's talking about, you want that heart to remain sensitive because God is speaking to you through your heart. Now, remember, when we talk about the heart in Scripture, it's, it's considered kind of the essence of who we are. It's the seed of our emotions. It's the seed of our thinking. I know we have our minds, but it's, it's kind of where we, we make decisions and we decide what are our convictions, and it's where we dis the decisions are kind of the actions of the will. So our volition, our thinking, our emotions, 
our beliefs, our convictions, all of those things are kind of in one place called the heart. It's the kind of the best way the Bible seems to be able to describe what that all represents. And, and God is saying through Jesus, he's already giving us a sense. It's really important that that, be sen- that remains sensitive. Remember back to the original story, right? Jackie Pullinger said, um, we want tender hearts, soft hearts, and hard feet. Okay, and I'll, that'll, I'll explain that in a little more in a minute, but this is all kind of working together. So to continue there, I'm still in uh, that verse, let's see, verse 15. For his people's hearts, for his people's heart, has become calloused, talking about God's people. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. You hear their will is being, they're they're imposing their own will. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Turn, repent, and I would heal them. This is the goal, right? We want to find healing, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And the heart is directly tied to that. Verse 16, but blessed are you, I'm sorry, blessed are your eyes, he's talking to the disciples, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That's part of that mystery that's being revealed. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And we're like, finally. Okay, verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you might even do this. Um, Make a little table, and you have four soil types. So you put column one, soil, slash, heart. And what you're going to see here is that imagery here, the metaphor, is that the soils represent the condition of our hearts. Okay. You could also put on that chart, so you'd have four soils. You could also put on that chart sower and seed. Who's the sower? Okay, It doesn't really say, but it implies that the sower is the person planting the seed. Who is that? Well, it's ultimately God. It's Jesus, and it's anyone who's following him if they're doing what he calls us to do because planting seeds is what you and I are called to do. But I get ahead of myself, okay? So the sower is the one who plants. But what are they planting? Seed. What's the seed? It, he says it right there in verse 18, 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown. The seed is the message of the kingdom of God. We sometimes call it the gospel, the good news. It's very specific, though. It's redemptive language that has to do with the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. It is the game changer. It is the point. It is the reason we worship and gather. That message is the message of hope. It is the message that gives us hope. It is the message that tells us how to find, receive, and share that hope with the world that needs to hear it. Okay? So the seed is the message. The sower is the person sharing, broadcasting the message. Okay? And then the soils... Are the, is, this is the variable, right? There are different kinds of soil that a good sower sowing good seed can throw and get different results, okay? And if you've ever planted a garden, you know that sometimes it comes up better than others depending on how well we prepared the soil. Same seed, same person planting the seed, same water, same sun, same fertilize, 
but different soils. And that's why that's, this is so important. Now, Jesus still calls it the parable of the sower, because it is about the sower, but the soils are the variable, and this is where the lessons learned. Now, the first three soils are going to be similar but, and completely different from the fourth soil. And I want you to hear, as he explains what these mean, I want you to hear something that's true for all four. See if you can pick it out. Okay? There's something that's true about all four soils in the imagery, the metaphor that's being played out. The seed, so the first seed, he says, is uh, anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart, in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. That's the first soil. Second soil, verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground, which remember this is shallow, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Verse 21, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they fall away, they quickly fall away. Okay? When look at the two things. Trouble, you could say trouble in life, persecution, okay? Because of the word. In other words, you're you're living the word and people are coming back at you, or circumstances are coming back at you. And you and you kind of make the connection. It's because I, you know, because of this word I heard that I'm I'm receiving this very uncomfortable circumstance, and so I'm going to bail on the faith. Third soil, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It doesn't choke the plant. Well, or does it, right? The message sprouts, right? But the imagery is soil is our heart, Plants growing from that soil, and the plant is getting choked by. It's good soil, and the plant can sprout and grow, but it's surrounded by these briars, these thorns that choke it out. And what happens at the end of the day? It dies. It doesn't mature, and it's unfruitful. So all three soils have this in common. They all, and I didn't read the fourth one. Let me read the fourth one, and then I can show you what was in common to all of them. The fourth one says, uh, verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. So did you figure it out? What's the thing that everybody, every soil heard? Hear the word. All of them heard the word. Okay? And yet three of the four were not fruitful. Okay? Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The, and, and that's in the passage of abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit from apart from me, for apart from me you can do nothing. That's imagery that we also have to think about here. Jesus says when you become true follower of me, you will bear fruit. You will bear a lot of fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit, if that's not the pattern of your life, then you have to ask yourself the question, is it because my heart is like one of those first three? Okay? First, they all heard the word, but the first one didn't understand. It sat there long enough. I don't understand. And then the enemy comes and and scarfs down all the seed. Second one, shallow soil. Hits the soil. It sprouts, the roots grow down until they hit the hard pan layer of rock in Florida. You can find this a lot in the soils. 
the sandy or loamy soil on top, get through in their sand, and then there's a hard pan layer. And the hard pan layer is so hard the roots usually can't go through. Depends on the plant, but a small sprouting plant is going to hit that and the roots go sideways, which is fine until the sun starts baking and the rain has stopped. And then it cooks the little sprout, withers and dies. No fruit, no maturity. Okay? And that one he said, rocky ground refers to the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And, and because they've never borne fruit, I would say that represents someone who's never truly come to know the Lord. So we have the first one who never came to know the Lord, the second one who never came to know the Lord. The third one is, sounds a little more like it, but this one falls among thorns, it grows up, and it's choked out. There's no maturing, there's no fruit. I chose you to bear fruit. Abiding in me leads to fruit bearing. No fruit means that your root is not healthy. It's not tuned, you're not tied into um, Jesus the vine, okay? And um, I find it interesting that the fourth soil, good soil, leads to um, someone who hears the word, understands it, and I would add, believes it and obeys it. And I would add one more, shares it. And this gets back to soft hearts, hard feet. Jackie... Um, Kullinger went to the walled city in Hong Kong, and she goes and lives in this horrible situation and shines as a light there. She is letting her tender heart cause her to hit the streets and hit the stairs and minister to people in those places. And so you're going to get calluses on your feet, but not on your heart. But our tendency is the opposite. Our tendency is harden our hearts towards God. I mean, it just comes through, comes at us from all different directions, right? There's things happen to us in life that cause us to, to kind of turn inward and isolate. We get hurt, we get wounded, we get, or we dabble in sin, or we fall into, give into temptation. There's a hundred thousand reasons and ways this happens. And every person's a little different. But we all deal with this. We all deal with the temptation to let our hearts get hardened. Okay? It's not hard. And just like the choking of the plant, think about how slow that happens, right? You can't see a plant grow unless you put it on, like, time-lapse photography. And I'm sure there's an exception out there, maybe a bamboo that grows, what, 12 inches a day or something. But it's really hard to see it moving. And so you can imagine that those briars are just every day a little bit closer, right? And I think in life, the things that cause us to be tempted to have a hard heart, they sneak up on us. They're subtle, okay? And so I think this is a warning to us, to me, to you, to wake up and pay attention. Where is your heart today? Because if you have a heart that's tender towards God, then you will be, you will not only be hearing the word, understanding the word, obeying the word, but you'll be sharing the word, right? You'll, you'll show and tell the kingdom of God wherever you go. I still, rem- I still have great memories of the most exciting thing that ever happened to me in first grade was show and tell. I just loved that day. Monday, we, I guess it was Monday, maybe it was Friday. I think it was Monday after the weekend, and we would come to class, and, and you could bring something, 
and you could tell. You, you basically, you could get, I mean, I guess I was already ready to preach because I was wanting to be up in front of the class. Look at me, look at me, all about me, right? And, you know, obviously that's not healthy, but that's probably where I was in first grade. Okay, sometimes that's where I am now. It's just, right? I mean, we're all, we all have, and if you've got something that's great, that's good news, there's a part of us that wants to tell people that, to show them that. That's awesome. We should do that. That's the kingdom. But we're kind of like the crowds, right? We hear, you know, the crowds were like, Jesus raised the dead. Oh, that's pretty cool. What's for lunch? Right? Does that feel like an appropriate response to someone rising from the dead or having a demon cast out or they can see instantly after never being able to see? I mean, we see Jesus and we read these and we go, uh-huh, okay, all right. Man, it's hard reading the Bible. I might even, I opened it this week. You know, it's like there's a disconnect, and I think it's the heart, you know. I've been there many times when I didn't want to read the Bible. I understand, but that's a hard-hearted response to what God has given me, right? It's like I know I should read the Bible, but I don't even want to read the Bible. I know that it leads to life transformation, but I don't really believe it. Because I need it, but I don't, or maybe I don't think I need it. I'm doing pretty good. So you see how, I mean, there's 100,000 applications to this. Where's your heart? His name was Polycarp. Strange name. Put it on your name list, young parents, young people. Polycarp. It's a guy. He was a devout follower of the Lord Jesus in the second century, first and second century. He was also a devoted follower of the Apostle John. And at 86 years old, they wanted him to um, they wanted him to deny Christ and to say Caesar is Lord. And this is what he said. Oh, he was, and he wasn't just a follower. He was a a leading elder in the church in whatever city he lived in. They called him bishop. They called him bishops back then. Molly's excited, right? This is um, in 156, A.D. 156, okay? 86 years I have served Christ. He never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? All they wanted him to say was Caesar is Lord. I bow to my appropriate leader of the Roman Empire, Caesar. That's all they wanted, but he would not do it. And so he was burned alive because of that. That's a heart that loves the Lord above everything else. You thought it was hard to go to a city that's upside down in, in sin and go live there and serve those people. Try dying in the flames for what you believe. Something you have believed for 86 years. And he did it willingly. Assess, let's assess our hearts. Let's just be honest today, right? I mean, we can all just walk in and put on a face and, and play church. We can do that. But I know you want more than that. I know I want more than that for you and for me. So what does that mean? It means that I need to be honest about my heart. No one knows your heart like you except for God. Other people maybe 
elbowing you and saying things and dropping hints. But at the end of the day, what do I do? Okay, how do I fix this? And I would say it starts with repent, and, it, and it's wrapped with believe. Repent and believe. Okay? And sometimes we know exactly what it is, and we can repent of that. And sometimes we're not sure. And so it's okay to be honest with the Lord and say, I'm not sure. I just know my heart's not right. Help me repent of what I need to repent of. Help me need to help me um, humble myself over what I need to humble myself over. Whatever it is that you or I are dealing with, let's just go to God and just say, honestly, this is what I'm feeling. This is where I am. Help me. He loves that. That is actually softening your heart towards God when we do that. And that's what he wants from us all the time, every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we had a heart of stone, the scriptures say. That's hard. And the only reason that our, some of our hearts are not stone right now is because you miraculously, supernaturally reached down and touched our hearts and regenerated us birthed us spiritually into this kingdom of God. It is a work of you, Lord. It's not something we mustered up. It's not something we can try harder to do. We simply respond to the miraculous intervention of our holy God who reaches out to deliver us. Lord, we need you. And we ask you right now to touch our hearts right where it's hardest. Lord, in some cases, um, our hearts are going to melt because we are ready and leaning in. And in some cases, our hearts are so hard that you have to break them. Lord, I pray we would be willing for you to do either one, to get us to the place where we're so receptive to you that your seed will hit the soil, sprout, mature, and bear fruit hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold all of us would be bearing a lot of fruit if that would happen. May that be the truth. May that be the case for us individually. May it be the case for us as a church family. We ask it in Jesus' name.